0: So we have been going through this series of shifting our lens from a lens of judgment to a lens of love. This week I was listening to a podcast episode, the Evolving Faith Podcast. And on this episode, Barbara Brown Taylor was being, um, it was a message she had given at a conference in 2019, and they were replaying this message. And she talks about being in the wilderness. Which i thought was fitting since today we're going to be talking about our understanding of engaging with suffering from a lens of love she says that in the wilderness there are real threats real threats to your safety and if there aren't threats then you're not really in the wilderness you're just in a park some of these threats will look different from person to person there are different Wildernesses that we all face, some for our literal survival, some for emotional stability, a sense of community and belonging that may feel lost. She goes on to quote um, the book that's called The Wild Edge of Sorrow, which I haven't read yet, but now I want to. And author Frances Weller says, almost everyone who falls off of sorrow's wild edge just wants grief to go away so we can go back to how things used to be but we can't go back, we're not supposed to. She goes on to say that there's something feral about grief that makes it necessary to the vitality of the soul. So we lament and we grieve, but we also don't stay stagnant and we can't compartmentalize the real grief we may be feeling with the ways that we need to respond. So our hope today is to have a conversation around engaging with suffering in an embodied way not as an invalidation of the very real limits that we all have, but as a picture of hope that moves us, that reminds us to lean in. There's a term in Greek that we are going to be centering this talk around, but I'm going to let my friend, uh, Matt, who's joining me today, come up here and introduce this word for us because he's done a lot of work around this. So if we can give Matt a warm welcome up here. Matt is the program director for the Crux Formation program at uh, North Park University. And that's how we've met. We, I know these chairs are a little slippery today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we met uh, doing this program, working with this program together. And Matt has become a dear friend and someone I love to talk theology with and life with. Him and his wife, Allison, I have a daughter, Zoe, who's a couple months older than Oliver. And it's really fun. Hi, Zoe. It's really fun to get to see them spend time together and grow together. I feel like becoming pandemic parents has been a bonding, yeah. bonding experience. Yes. But Matt, if you would introduce yourself a little bit more and tell us about this word that we're going to be centering on today.
1: Yeah, um, thanks Haley. Yeah, um, my name is Matt, <laughs> as we've covered. Um, I... Uh, Actually, I'll just, go, I'll just go here. I'm gonna share this with you because Vince, the last time I was here, he had me introduce my guilty pleasure uh, uh, genre of music, which was, uh, I think I said metal here. Yeah. <laughs> I love metal. Uh, um, I finished seminary last year, which was a cool thing, uh, but I just love the work I get to do that Haley and I have been able to do over the last few years. Um, Formation with college students, so that's a bit about who I am being a dad being a dad has been an awesome experience We have another one coming uh, in August, so it just keeps rolling (laughs) (laughs) Um, But today as Haley started uh, Mentioning we're gonna be talking about a word splunk nizomai. It's quite a strange word hard to say, so I'm just, you'll, you'll hear it multiple times, though, so I think you'll get the feel of it. Splunk Nizomai is the theme of today, um, and Haley, and what you were saying earlier, uh, as you kind of framed this time, I think sometimes in grief, you can, like, some people are kind of, we're sometimes encouraged to, like, deeply grieve and deeply feel, and that's good. Um, there's also this response to grief that's like, I've got to do a bunch of stuff, let's do like activism or let's, you know, find ways to actually change the the structures of what's actually going on, also good, but sometimes they're like separate from each other. And the beauty of Nizomai is that they're together Mm -hmm. in the same word. So um, essentially, yeah. I mean, I guess I can kind of dive in. Um, We have a definition for you, uh, just to kind of help conceptualize this, because in English, there isn't a very good equivalent for this word. It essentially is translated as compassion, most frequently in English. But, um, but spelunkanizomai really is a gut-wrenching compassion that mobilizes you for justice. A gut-wrenching compassion that mobilizes you for justice. Um, it's kind of a cool word that, it's a verb, Mm-hmm. So, and it happens to the person who's experiencing splenchnismai, and then it reverberates throughout those that uh, receive from that person's experience of, of splenchnismai. So, I think you'll start to get a sense of it.
0: Um, yeah, and I, I love this Greek term because it helps connect us to our bodies. Um, It doesn't separate out what we may be wrestling with mentally with how our bodies are physically feeling. Like it Mm. starts with that Mm gut-wrenching. And so it's an invitation to actually pay attention and name what's going on within you and connect that to how you are acting and responding. Mm. Um, But I'm wondering, do you have some stories here that would help to illustrate spunk for all of us?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking um, this week as... uh, as the news came out about this mass shooting in Texas, um, I found myself watching a few different videos. um, And this is just to kind of help everyone maybe relate to this feeling and relate to splunk splunk nizomai because I'm guessing you have experienced it. Um, So essentially for me, I was watching these videos um, as the news started coming out and I found myself looking at um, a video as the parents of some of these kids uh, were just kind of speaking out to their experience of, of losing their kids. One was a, a young girl who was gonna have her quinceanera, or she was already planning her quinceanera, um, even though she was just 10. Um, and, and as I just like heard these stories and saw people who uh, were at the center of suffering, like who, who really were experiencing suffering and experiencing even trauma firsthand, um, that in, inside, I don't know if y'all have experienced this, but but my gut just like turned over. Your stomach turns over when you encounter an injustice like this. And it could be through many different um, other avenues. Uh, but I found myself, I mean, just to be a little honest here, I found myself wondering then, like my gut turned over, but I kind of wondered like, oh, what should I do? Like, what do I do in response to this? Because I know about my I got a little bit in my head about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but to your point, it's actually really an embodied experience, and, and when you experience that gut-wrenching, it kind of is meant to just send you in a direction that is humanizing, not just for those that you're you know, feeling led toward, but also for yourself. Yeah. Um, so the other person would be that kind of relates to that idea is um, Harriet Tubman. We've been throwing this around, we've spoken on this a little bit before in other places. Um, but Harriet, um, we, we wanted to talk about Harriet at other times, but there just wasn't time. So I was like, <laughs> we gotta talk about Harriet. Um, <laughs> but Harriet, even though it's not like in the history about Harriet Tubman, um, it's just evidence. I mean, in her life is so much evidence of being lo- led by Splunknesomai and everything she was known for. Um, so if you don't know Harriet Tubman, essentially she was born enslaved. Um, a woman who, yeah, was born into slavery, antebellum slavery, around the 19 or 1820s. Um, she realized pretty young uh, the atrocity of slavery, and then eventually ends up deciding, you know, this just—I don't deserve this—and she runs away, um, despite the possibility and the threat of death. Um, ends up in Philadelphia, where she finds freedom, and then when she gets to Philadelphia, she realizes. Oh my gosh! Like my family is still in this; they don't deserve that. My people are still in this; they don't deserve that. And So she starts, just going back to the south um, to free person after person uh, on thirteen different journeys, uh, some as far as go- as far going as far north as Canada, um, freeing up to seventy different people um, from from slavery, and then eventually even getting deeply involved in the Civil War as a guide, as a cook, as a nurse, as a spy. I mean, she's like all over the map. And at one point she leads a campaign to free over 700 enslaved people. Um, and it's successful. So she's <laughs> she's just a perfect example of somebody whose gut un- undeniably was turning over all the time. For herself, even yeah. kind of initially, and then for others. Once she is liberated, she's like, I have to liberate others, um, and it's all in the kind of the same vein, the same theme as well. So,
0: yeah, I'm just I'm imagining it in books or history books. If it just said Harriet had I like how odd <laughs> that would be. But there really isn't a same word that captures all of this. This mm-hmm. um, sense of liberation that comes Mm. from just a a desire to do something first for yourself and then for others. Mm. And I think we can sometimes invalidate that as, not in Harriet's situation, but maybe within ourselves as selfish, but it's a response to how you're feeling in your body Mm. that then leads to action that goes beyond yourself. Mm. Um, I think of my my son, Oliver, has a lot of big feelings. We've been labeling them lately. We actually have a a little children's book on Harriet and there's a page where she has tears and he'll point to the tears and give Harriet a kiss. And there's just something I think about kids that they're so much more aware of this stuff in Mm -hmm. there, like feeling what you're actually feeling in your body and how that makes some pretty big responses sometimes.
1: You almost have to like forget that you have Splunk Like when I look at Zoe, I'm like, I think she has an adequate or just like a more natural letting Splunk Nizomai happen than I do. Um, And I mean, Jesus, it comes from Jesus. Jesus is the one who actually experiences this more than anyone in the Bible. Um, And so over and over again, it'll say things like um, uh, having deep compassion for this person. And then it goes on to explain the ways that Jesus is caring for someone as a result of that gut-wrenching compassion. Um, Other times it's translated things like being deeply moved in his innermost being. I mean, like, it gives you this sense of how f- full uh, this, like, gut-wrenching, you know, how totally embodied mm-hmm. it can be, so. Yeah.
0: yeah. I'm wondering if we can ground this, actually, in Scripture and turn to a story here hmm. and kind of keep talking about how Spunk plays out in the story. So we are going to turn to um, one of the parables that Jesus teaches, and we're gonna read from the message translation of the Bible and the title in this version is Defining Neighbor. Mm. And I like that, um, but we'll, we'll get into it and then we'll, um, we'll keep going from there to, to kind of make this connection of how we see this idea of being moved, how we could see it from a lens of judgment and how we could see it from a lens of love or a mm. lens of mm. But I'll read this for us now. Just then, a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Jesus answered, what's written in God's law, and how do you interpret it? The scholar said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, the religious man asked... And just how would you define neighbor? (laughs) Jesus answered by telling a story, as Jesus often does. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came to him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds, Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think, Jesus said, which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar responded. Jesus said, go and do the same. Mm-hmm. So Matt, I'm wondering with this story, if there's some context here that would be helpful for us to understand things a bit more.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a great passage. Um, it's, so Jesus is sitting next to this, or I guess there's a uh, religion scholar is the way the message translates it, um, who comes up. So it's like somebody essentially who has been, who is, is very studied in Judaism and in the Torah and in the first century. And um, and this person basically comes up and sa- says like, what do I got to do? And then is like, okay, but, but like, define neighbor for me. I really want to understand this well, you know? Um, and I actually think he had a really good intent. I don't know. I think he probably had really good intent, but, um, but Jesus is actually, I think, giving him an opportunity to like be invited into not just this like definition based faith, but like, w- or even a definition based existence, like not a cerebral existence, but a, a, an existence that, um, that, embodies the fullness of our humanity um even the
0: switch from from judgy jesus of like kind of judging this religion scholars mm, way of questioning mm. him to what you're saying is more of an invitational jesus yeah saying here's where you're starting with and here's the potential Mm. for growth and movement
1: yeah yeah so, so I think he does that through story, which is such a gentle tool. Oh my gosh, um, it's the greatest. But then, and then he tells this story about these three—I mean, one man who gets robbed, right—and then these three individuals who come. to to potentially care for the man who's been robbed. The first being a priest who's known for his holiness is probably just a simple way to put a priest. He's a religious um, official, uh, someone who has authority in Judaism who, yeah, is known for his holiness. who passes by, <laughs> and then a Levite who would have been known for his uh, kind of worship service in the worship structures, which also, just a side note, is like also the economic system of of Judaism. So there's a lot there um, with that Levite, and he probably had a lot of reasons why he may have had a service to go to. (laughs) I don't have time to care for this. Like People are counting on on me. I have responsibilities, right? Um, And so I'm guessing the religion scholar would have resonated with some of that, right? Uh, Well, of course the Levite couldn't. Of course the priest couldn't because he would have been unclean if he had touched this man, and then he would have to do all these other rituals to get clean after touching the blood and anyway, right? But then this Samaritan comes up and the Samaritans were known to be enemies of Israel, people who, have, who were essentially traitors. Uh, they had turned away from, from Judaism and uh, intermarried with other people and been corrupted by that was the way they were kind of viewed. Uh, uh, this is intense, but a half, where they're kind of viewed as like half-breeds. Um, a very dehumanizing mm-hmm. perspective, a lot of racism in that um, and so the religion scholar who Jesus is talking to may have looked down his nose at this Samaritan. Most likely.
0: Well, even the at the very end, he says the one who he can't even say the word Samaritan is the one that was helpful. It's the one who treated him kindly.
1: Yeah, there's such a divide there that you can't even say the Samaritan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Trisha. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so I think I mean maybe that I think I think for me that's maybe enough context. Yeah. But, but it's just to me so interesting, even with that title of defining neighbor, this being kind of framed as a definition of neighbor is what the scholar wants. Jesus turns it on its head, not only with saying like the protagonist of the story is the person that you would think is the antagonist, um, the Samaritan is the protagonist. Um, he also reframes the religious scholar's perspective completely saying it's not about defining neighbor so much as it is about becoming or embodying or being a neighbor. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, that's, that's what Splunk Nizomai does, is this invitation totally into uh, uh, the fullness of your humanity, the fullness of your identity, right? Not just a, a head-based religion or a head-based worldview or a head-based existence. But one that says I'm a, I'm a, and I have a lot more than just my brain <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, going on mm-hmm. uh, and in and uh, and yeah I think it, it just is more holistic in that sense but
0: yeah and then with Splunknizamai in this passage this version translate it translates it to his heart mm-hmm. went out to him mm-hmm. but there's a lot of different ways that it's translated are there some examples of good ways <laughs> and maybe some not so good ways that we see this word
1: yeah it could get us into the uh, y'all are in a uh, c- series from what I understand on judgment and love, lenses mm-hmm. of judgment versus lenses of love. And my um, historically, uh, largely because across time language changes, right? So English has changed across time, but historically Spelunknizumai used to be translated as pity. I had pity, like he had pity on this person, right? Um, and pity really now in 2022, Relates much more towards the judgment lens, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, to pity someone, you look down on them, much like the religious scholar was probably doing of others and like the, the priest and the Levite do. Um, whereas now, you know, compassion tends to be the English translation. But um, yeah, other, as I mentioned, deeply moved in their innermost being is one translation. Um, so there's, there's and, and of course, the one that I like, got wrenching compassion that mo- mobilizes you for justice, but that's a mouthful. <laughs> a little long. (laughs) (laughs) To put into the Bible.
0: (laughs) But it's so good and it's so helpful. And I think this this difference between pity and compassion for me brings up, um, there's a video of an illustration of um, Brené Brown's comparison with sympathy and empathy. And we've played it before, but maybe we'll link it in Discord later as well. Um, But she has this great visual where there's someone who's in the pit, someone who is suffering, And one person goes over and stays at the top of the hole and just says, oof, it's really dark down there. (laughs) Things don't look so good. (laughs) Do you want a sandwich? (laughs) They stay above. There's a physical Mm. and hierarchical visual Mm. that we have of where that person is relating to the one who's suffering. Mm -hmm. And then she says that empathy actually climbs down the ladder and gets into this pit with the other person And really just says i don't have words for you but i can be with you and i can sit with you Mm -hmm. and it's this response of i need to go be in proximity Mm -hmm. to this person and not try and maintain structures of power and maintain um, my own positionality and where my comfort level lies i don't want to go and get into this deep dark pit and i think that there's something here about that we see some of these characters maintaining their own role and protecting themselves. Mm-hmm. But spangnizamai can be an invitation not to protect yourself or protect power, but to lean in and to align yourself with those who are suffering.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where pity, pity can kind of tap someone on the like pat them on the head from the top of the pit. Whereas compassion dives into the pit. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe with the sandwich, I don't know. <laughs> but with them full, with in. their full self, right? Um, with everything they believe, they bring, um, and and also, yeah, aligns so closely with the person in the pit that the things that affect that person affect the one who gets into the pit as well.
0: Yeah, the um, one who's suffering is actually centered, and I think that mm-hmm. that really it transforms power structures that are present instead mm-hmm. of maintaining. Mm-hmm. Them,
1: and I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit more about that mm, too. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Transformation of power structures. I mean, you kind of see it in the, the story of the Good Samaritan in a sense um, where uh, Jesus, I think is doing that in the mentality of for, for this religion scholar, he's saying like, what if you let go of kind of clinging to the definitions what if you let go of this kind of holding the um, the one who's suffering at arm's length and kind of like throwing some resources over there at them? What if there was an embrace? Mm-hmm. What if there was real relationship? Um, what if there was caring for wounds? Uh, Henry Nouwen, I know, says something like to minister to one to another person is to get into the wounds of the other person. Um, you have to, if you're it comes from medical terminology, right? Minister is actually to administer uh, bandages or or treatment to someone's wounds. And so, um, and we all have them. That's the other thing about power structures is that it's very easy to kind of be like, those are the ones who suffer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But sometimes it's us, Mm -hmm. right? And, and it doesn't just, you know, uh, follow these, uh, black and white categories of, of I have, and you have not, or I'm suffering and you're not, or you're suffering and I'm not. Um, sometimes it's messier than that.
0: Yeah. It is really messy.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, maybe the other thing thing on power structures is that there's a, for those who are in power, um, it's very, I just am imagining the religion scholar that Jesus is telling this parable to, and it just doesn't make sense to uh, to let go of your power structures, especially when it's like Samaritans who are who are doing the care. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus is saying, goodness exists with the people that you think are bad. Mm-hmm. Righteousness or, or or justice can be done by the ones that. Um, you think are unrighteous and unjust. Um, so it's a really scandalous, illogical way uh, of, of kind of going about this. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anything yeah. else on that for you?
0: Yeah. It's bringing to mind for me um, that when we were talking before this, the framing of cerebral judgment mm. and actual embodied love. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. when we stay in a place of judgment, it can be a very like, I'm gonna stay in my head, I'm going to um, try and maintain these structures, I'm going to make judgments about the way other people are responding to the suffering. Um, Maybe even how I'm responding too, there's some of that Mm. self-judgment and shame that can pop up as well. But instead we see the Samaritan responding in a really embodied loving way, that there's something Mm. active about the way that this person responds.
1: Mm. Yeah, when you're in your head, uh logic is the operative tool mm-hmm. but when you're in your body compassion and accompaniment and a relationship end up being the tools yeah. um and and, yeah, and there's other things i think maybe that would be tools too there but um yeah yeah well
0: even becoming a neighbor means forming a relationship Hmm. It's not just, I'm going to stay in my head and I'm going to define, like, this person's my neighbor, this person's my neighbor. Mm-hmm. But when Jesus is making this an active transformative process, it means that there has to be a relationship that's formed out of things as well.
1: I have a cool example of this, too. It's coming to mind. So I was uh, scrolling through my YouTube uh, feed, and I think YouTube knows me now. <laughs> Maybe it knows us all.
0: <laughs> Technology is scary.
1: But it, <laughs> it knows that I I like Tra- transforming power, <laughs> so, so. specific. Yeah, yeah, like I get all these videos about like power and transforming power, anyway, and also about pizza. <laughs> and YouTube put them together for me recently. Um, I got this video that came up, suggested, that was about this little pizzeria in Berkeley, California that um, if, you wanna, like, if you wanna work there, you become an owner. Literally everyone who works there, from the person who does all the finances, to the people who are cooking the pizza, to the people who are cleaning, they all own this collectively. And it comes from this place, This is, it's such a good illustration of Splunk my because it comes from this place of, there were some, the people who started this, they said, we can't do the like hierarchical model of um, one person at the top and you know, over these other people, who are over these other people, and the people at the bottom don't get paid as much, and the people at the top get paid all, you know. They're like, capitalism isn't so healthy for us, was their deep Splunk Nizomai as business people conviction, Mm -hmm. right? And so they said, let's just make everyone owners. Um, So thanks, YouTube, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) um, to me, there's something there about like, a power structure can be subverted by, you know, by, um, by Splunk what even a collective form of Splunk Nizomai. Yeah. Uh, so
0: we talk a lot about the, the visual of a triangle type of leadership going to a circle. And that feels mm-hmm. like a really strong example of that.
1: Yeah. A more collective and collaborative space rather than one that says, I'm the expert yeah. y'all learn from me and I'll just multiply little versions of myself. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I think to this, uh, this idea of being a collective is really helpful for me in understanding Splunknizomai because I think you can go the other direction and read this story and say, wow, I'm not doing enough. I need to constantly, like I need to be doing more. I'm not acting enough. And maybe that's helpful for you, but maybe that's also super overwhelming because there are just so many things to care about and to try to uh, be active in. And it can be, an overwhelming place to stay. And I don't think it's a sustaining space to just constantly feel like you're not doing enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is where some some boundaries are healthy and can help too, and even prioritizing rest can mm-hmm. be really helpful. Um, but do you have any thoughts on on that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, uh, Haley and I, when we were working with the Crux students, we taught Splunk my We teach it every year, because everyone should know about Splunk my.
0: Some of them get Splunk Nizomai in Greek tattooed on them. It's- <laughs>
1: That was when we were like, oh my gosh, we have to be careful what we say. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it ends up on people's bodies. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, they asked, when we were teaching on Spalak this last year, the students were like, oh my gosh, like this is kind of overwhelming, because we live in a globalized world where, because of the internet, we know, like, none of us, well, maybe some of us, but I wasn't in Texas on, you know, this this earlier this week when, when the shootings happened. Um, and And yet I know about them and I am watching these videos and, you know, here and my gut is getting wrenched and I find myself asking this question, like, what do I do? And and our students were asking that, like, should I, like, do I need to be an expert on every single, you know, issue of justice, right? Like, do I, what am I doing about, you know, the environmental crisis? Like, what am I doing about patriarchy? What am I doing about racism? What am I doing about, you you could just go down the list, right? And pretty soon it's like, I am burnt out. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just wanna, I think Harriet's a great example for this um, because I think splunk should be humanizing, not just for the ones that are you know, at the center of the bullseye of suffering. It should be humanizing for literally everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think there can kind of be some shame and guilt that creeps in um, in a globalized you know, world aware of all the massive injustices that, that are around us. Um, so, uh, I mean, my mind goes to, to Zoe, who (laughs) I think she took off here now, but, uh, (laughs) Zoe, um, she's in a little bit of a stage of natural. This is just natural for, for kids. Uh, but she's definitely having some tantrums these days. Um, but they always stem from some sort of need in her. Like she actually has and she has no shame about her tantrums, nor do I think she should. Um, but she, she usually it's hanger. <laughs> she's hungry and angry because she's hungry. And she doesn't necessarily realize in her mind that she's hungry, but she realizes it in her body. And, and so she'll have a tantrum. And it's so funny though, because she's going through this stage where she realizes also the the empathy, the natural just empathy that she has for other people. Um, so. Allie, my wife, she's pregnant, and we'll have various pains in her body, and we'll sometimes just be like, oh, ouch. And so even like right after a tantrum or something, we'll just go seamlessly from the tantrum to, mama needs a kiss? Like run over to mom and give her a kiss, right? And there's no shame f- about the can- tantrum. There's also no shame or no like, like I have to do this, like no, um, self-righteousness maybe or no obligation to have to go kiss mom because she's suffering it's just like oh my gosh someone's suffering i i just do this because i have to right so so there's a, a zoe becomes an example and a teacher for me of the way that like you can go from caring for yourself and your own needs to Caring for another um, and to reaching out for another, um, even that image of Harriet at the beginning of as we gathered here, um, her caring for herself, saying, "I need liberation in order to liberate others. I have to be liberated." Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah. To me, that's kind of some some bit of boundaries.
0: Yeah, we talk a lot about how Zoe and Ollie teach us <laughs> every day about new things. <laughs> it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, we started this practice in our Lent series of ending with experiments because that feels like an active and helpful thing, Um, knowing that we don't just think ourselves into new ways of living, but we actually live ourselves into new ways of thinking. Mm. So I'm wondering if um, we can kind of leave with some experiments with Mm. Spunknizomai, if there are any examples there that come to mind for you.
1: Yeah, um, deeply related to the boundaries rest kind of bit. Um, a phrase that's become really sacred to me is, um, be present to the ones right in front of you, be present to the ones right in front of you. Um, because it's just so easy to kind of get swept into the whirlwind of, uh, the chaos of the world and and the needs in the world and even my own needs, Mm -hmm. right? But, but to just be present, um, and not have to overextend myself. Um, uh, at one point, uh, a group of friends and I, we were watching um, H- Hassan Minhaj and his um, Patriot Act, I believe it was, uh, it, he's a comedian, and he enc- encourages people to just pick one, <laughs> one kind of issue of injustice that you're passionate about, um, that it, much like Harriet, right? Like she has kind of one theme, liberation of people who have been enslaved, Right, that, that, that is marked, her life is marked by. right. And so Hasan Minaj invites people, not to just get involved in every single issue of injustice, but rather to say, no, what has been a theme throughout my life? So maybe the other kind of experiment would be, um, maybe check in with your gut just check in with your gut. So be present to the ones right in front of you, but then check in with your gut. Um, what ha- How has it turned over maybe in the last week? How has it turned over in the last month? Um, what has made your stomach turn over over and over again throughout your life? And maybe there's themes there that would help humanize you too and, and not be unnatural, mm-hmm. right? There would be authentic ways of applying this, silly greek word (laughs) so
0: i love that and i'd love to use some of those questions actually for a prayer practice for all Mm -hmm. of us right now um so this is just going to be a series of questions to help us reflect and be together um so if you would just find a comfortable space you can close your eyes if that helps you focus in on what we're um, reflecting on jesus i just thank you that you model this the Splunk over and over again in the ways that you encounter people who are suffering, God. And though it can feel like a tall task to be responding to injustice after injustice after injustice, God, would we still continue to lean in, listening to our limits, relying on our community, trusting that you fill in the gaps of what we cannot do? And so, God, I just... I invite you into the space of reflection now. And I wonder for all of us, in the past day, the past 24 hours, how have you been feeling? Can you put a word to it? Where have you noticed these feelings in your body? I know for me, Stress or anxiety can really sit heavy in my chest, but maybe it feels different for you. Has your gut wrenched for anything this past day? Does anything come to mind? God, may we experience hope in the anger and grief. And I'd invite us to consider in the past week, the past week, how have you been feeling? Can you put some words to it? have you noticed these feelings in your body? Has your gut wrenched for anything? God, may we experience hope in the anger and grief. And lastly, I'd like us to zoom out a bit more and consider in the past month, how have you been feeling? Where have you noticed these feelings in your body? Has your gut wrenched for anything? may we experience hope in the anger and the grief and as we identify how we feel would we also identify the ways in which you are calling us to lean in to act to breathe and to rest this morning and as we move forward with all that's ahead amen Matt thank you so much for joining me this was such a joy and a fun time and just it's always good to be in conversation with you and it's just fun to have microphones in front of our faces while we do it too
1: yeah thanks Brownline. it's good yeah. to be here yep
0: you can give matt another round of applause thank you